Anyway, okay, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. How about that? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Coming to him, that is Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts through the scriptures and through the stories of how you've worked in so many people's lives over the years. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done here at Calvary Chapel, for what you're doing, and for what you plan to do. We ask your blessing on this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter writes of the church as a spiritual house or a temple. Our Lord Jesus overcame death and became a living stone. Now you and I and all followers of Jesus are chips off the old block. We too are living stones. We're alive spiritually and connected to one another. Jesus Christ is our chief cornerstone, the linchpin of the spiritual house. And as we lean into him, we're linked together. In the Old Testament times, the temple was a physical structure devoted to both worship and witness. And today, the church is a spiritual house that serves those same purposes. If you've ever been with me to Israel, you've seen some of the stones that made up the Jewish temple. Those stones were strong and straight and side by side. The temple of old consisted of limestone walls, while the church today is made up of live stone walls. And God intends for us to be strong and straight and side by side. Each of us has a role to play in his church. This is why I've always said, don't be off the wall, find your place on the wall. Be part of the house that Jesus is building. And over the last 40 years, many, many people have responded to that call and have become a part of God's church here at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. This morning, I'd like to celebrate and recognize all the folks over all the years who've been a stone in this temple to God. Obviously, I can't mention everyone, but I want to speak of a few in honor of the whole. You know, several weeks ago, the church recognized the 40 years that Kathy and I have served Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. And we truly appreciate your love and your gratitude. And many of you ask me, wow, I can't believe that you've pastored the same church for 40 years. Well, the truth is, I haven't. Our church has turned over multiple times over 40 years. People come and go. Even pillars in the church get replaced. Some of you have been fixtures here for a long, long time, and your longevity comes with its own rewards. But I see all the comers and goers as part of the rich tapestry that has made Calvary Chapel what it is today. I love the illustration of a tap-tap. 
Our church is a spiritual tap-tap. On the island of Haiti, a tap-tap is the main mode of public transportation. A tap-tap is basically a covered pickup truck that drives around Port-au-Prince stopping and starting, letting people on and letting people off. You tap on the side when you want to stop. A tap-tap is colorful and crowded. It's a cross between a carnival bus, a taxi, and a paddy wagon. All kinds of people are on board, hanging on to its sides. And you don't measure the usefulness of a tap-tap by counting the people in the seats at any one time. You watch it travel its route. People tap on here, people tap off there. Passengers are always coming and going. And I've found that the church is like a tap-tap. At times you wonder about someone, did he jump off too early? Did she stay on long enough? But that's not my issue. Jesus is the Lord. I'm just a tap-tap driver. While people are on board with me, I love them and I teach them and I seek to move them forward. But the crowd on a tap-tap always varies. In a sense, a Haitian tap-tap driver serves all of Port-au-Prince and in the same way, the whole world is a member of my parish. Just recently, out of the blue, I got an email that read, Hi, dear pastor. My name is Janine, and I'm a Brazilian missionary in a bush in Madagascar. I had to look up where Madagascar was. It's an island off the southeast coast of Africa. She writes, I live here with my family working among Bara people. Your sermons encourage me. Thanks for teaching me and helping me grow with Jesus and love this people. Amazingly, this selfless wife and mother of two young children, a woman I've never met, has tapped on to Calvary Chapel. I found her photo on Facebook. And with the spread of our ministry on the radio and through the internet, this is happening more and more these days. I view Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain as a temple to God. Jesus is our chief cornerstone on which we all lean. And its living stones are the people at home and abroad, here and online, now and in the past, even now and in the future. And today, I'd like to talk about a few of those folks. This week, James and I, we were talking about all the people who've been and who are a part of Calvary Chapel. And we concluded... If wealth is measured by the lives we touch and by who touches us, then we are both rich people. What an amazing life this church has given us. Let me tell you some short stories to illustrate what I mean. And in a few of the cases, I've changed the names to protect some privacy. But what a cast of characters have walked through those doors to become a part of this family. For starters... The Albie boys, they were tough customers. The Albies had a rough upbringing. Their mom did her best, but dad was a truck driver and always on the road. They both found their way to Calvary Chapel and God transformed their lives. They were our very first ushers. I'll never forget my prim and proper mother visiting Calvary Chapel one Sunday morning and remarking afterwards, your ushers, Sandy, were nice fellows. But at first, I didn't know if they were going to seat me or rob me. <laughs> Those were the Albies. 
Their dad, Roy, drove a truck for 40 years. Never had an accident, he said. When he retired, he came to Calvary Chapel with his sons. He got saved one Christmas Eve. He had been a few weeks prior, and we hadn't offered an altar call. And so Roy comes up to me after the service, and he says, Pastor Sandy, how does a person get saved around here? Well, I led him in a prayer, and Roy gave his life to Jesus. And over the next few years, I watched this tough-as-nails trucker become one of the kindest men I've ever met. Early on, it was clear that God would use Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain for folks who didn't fit in elsewhere. This church has always been a grace place. Jesus accepts us just as we are and right where we're at, and that's how he's taught us to accept one another. It's all about grace. Tammy was a stripper in her past life, but she embraced Jesus. And at Calvary Chapel, she began to learn to see herself clothed in his robes of righteousness. She's now a faithful wife and a stay-at-home mom. Angie was a teenager in our youth group. She sang on our worship team for a time. Everybody loved Angie. When she turned up pregnant, she was sorry for what she did. Afterward, everybody loved Angie and her baby boy. Susan was a wicked witch before she came to Calvary. Jesus gloriously saved her, and she married a brother in our church. For a number of years, she served faithfully and sacrificially in our church office. Mark started coming to Calvary Chapel 28 years ago. The week he got out of prison, here at Calvary, we believe that our God is the God of the second chance. But Mark is an example of what to do with a second chance. For in the years since his release, he's worked hard and he's succeeded and he's provided other men of similar background an opportunity to succeed as well. I'll never forget Carrie Goldsmith's story. She was a new Christian in our church, being tempted with old vices. She was so distraught, one night she jumped in her car and she went for a drive. She ended up in the Stone Mountain graveyard of all places. She said when she pulled in, her car's headlights hit one of the tombstones. It read, Goldsmith. It reminded her that the old Carrie Goldsmith was dead, and she had been made brand new in Christ. Carrie's story became an illustration for us all. One truth we learned is that where God guides, he provides. He knows our needs before we even ask. It reminds me of Judy, our very first secretary, in those days, we really needed help. It was just me on staff, and things were slipping through the cracks. I needed a church secretary. The only problem was I didn't have any money to hire one. Well, one day, Judy approaches me, and she says, Sandy, I'd love to be your secretary, but I have a problem. You can't pay me. I'm a Canadian citizen, and if I draw a salary, I'll lose my green card status. <laughs> I looked up to heaven and said, praise the Lord. He had answered my need. Judy was a wonderful secretary and a very good friend. Let me also tell you about Don. I got to tell you about Don. He came up to me one Sunday after the service, and he said that he'd been reading his Bible, and God had laid it on his heart to start tithing. He said he'd been reading out of Malachi, and he didn't really know what it was, but he felt that God wanted him to start tithing. Well, suddenly it hit me. He was talking about tithing. I'm thankful that throughout Calvary Chapel's history, without our badgering or without our begging, 
God has laid it on many people's hearts to support their church financially and to tithe. (laughs) Rodney was a disenchanted Pentecostal who came to Calvary Chapel because we taught the Bible. The name it claimant theology he once believed didn't cure him of cancer. The strength he needed he ultimately found in God's word. Rodney was an interesting fellow. In planning his funeral, he told me that he wanted the hearse to take the long way from the church to the graveyard so he could tie up as much traffic as he could one last time. (laughs) By the way, we honored his request. On the day Rodney died, his wife asked me, she said, can Rodney come to church one more time before we bury him? He just loved the praises of God. Well, I assured her that Rodney was at the feet of Jesus, surrounded by the praises of God. But that wasn't enough for her. She wanted him at church one more time. I told her, I said, I'm sorry, but we can't have Rodney lying in state on a Sunday morning. I mean, people are coming to church, not to a funeral. She pleaded. I mean, how can you say no to a grieving widow? Well, finally, I gave in. I asked her if we could put Rodney in one of the offices up front. I said, our music's loud enough. He'll be surrounded by the praises of God. Well, she agreed. She liked the idea. And so that Sunday morning, the hearse rolled up before the first service. We put Rodney in the youth pastor's office without telling Pastor Jeff. He had a huge shock that morning when he opened his office door. Speaking of funerals, I remember John's. Shortly after he came to Calvary, we asked him to be an usher. He took it so seriously. This was a huge honor for John. When he died of a congenital heart defect, his wife Mary Lou buried him in his usher shirt. She asked all of our ushers to serve as pallbearers. And in my mind's eye, I can see John lying in the casket in his usher shirt, and I can see the first three rows over here full of men, ushers in our church, wearing their shirts as well. I'll tell you, it upped the ante on being an usher here at Calvary Chapel. For the next year or so, being a Calvary Chapel usher was like being a Navy SEAL. John had turned it into a badge of honor. I also remember another funeral, Sagoon, was one of the fellows who volunteered to come up on Saturdays and help clean the church. Whenever I spoke to Segun, he usually had a toilet brush in one hand and a cleaner, some cleaner in the other. At the time of his funeral, James stuck his head in my office and he said, Sandy, you better come look. Our sanctuary was filled with dignitaries that day. As it turns out, Segun Olabiidi was a world-renowned chemist. I had no idea. People were here from all over the world to pay their respects. The mayor of Atlanta issued a proclamation that day. But to me, Sagun was the brother who cleaned our bathrooms on Saturday. What a lesson he taught us in humility and in servanthood. Debbie called me on the phone one evening and she shouted that her husband was turning blue. What should she do? She'd called 911, but what else could she do? I told her to go out into the front yard and scream it for help at the top of her lungs. I was on my way. At the hospital, I was with Debbie when the doctor announced that her newlywed husband, just 32 years old, was dead. 
Deb and I cried a lot together that day. But as the Bible says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God can make all things new. I heard a great quote this past week. It's from Dr. Seuss, no less. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Debbie learned to smile again. She met Jim, a brother in our church. And today they're living happily ever after in Washington State. Wayne was a street kid who used to hang out at the church every afternoon after school, when he went to school. For years, this church was the only place he knew love. One Saturday, Wayne and I were cleaning the building when visitors walked in and inquired about the church. Well, at the time, we weren't getting many visitors, so I really wanted to make a good impression. We've got visitors. That's why I cringe when the man turned to Wayne and he said, young man, what do you think of the fellowship here? I thought, oh no, don't talk to Wayne. There's no telling what Wayne will say. But Wayne looked that man straight in his eye and he said, fellowship? What's a fellowship? This is my family. Wayne's answer that day still brings tears to my eyes. Baptisms are a special occasion at Calvary Chapel. They're special celebrations of our new life in Christ. I'll never forget one baptism. Lingy was Mr. Tough Guy. His wife said that he hadn't set foot in a church in over 12 years, but he had agreed to come to her baptism. It was just as I was about to take her under the water that Lingy jumped into the pool. He was still wearing his shoes and his street clothes. With tears streaming down his cheeks, he told me that he wanted to be saved too. I baptized his wife that day with her husband. 30 years ago, Marty was our coaching rival on the Little League Baseball Diamond. James and I coached our sons and Marty coached his. Well, back then we invited Marty to church several times, but he wasn't interested. Decades later, out of the blue, Marty called one day. He and James got together. Marty and his wife Linda started coming to our church. And I had the honor of baptizing my former competitor not long ago. Now we're on the same team. Bob will tell you that he was a lost soul before he found Calvary Chapel. He was divorced and alone when he saw an ad in the classified section of the newspaper. A single sister in our fellowship had ran it, against my better judgment, by the way. But Bob answered the ad. Pat and Bob's first date was a Sunday service at Calvary Chapel. After two weeks, Bob got saved. Two months later, they were married. In two years, Bob was a deacon. After seven years, an elder. After ten, an assistant pastor. Pat is with Jesus today, but Bob still serves faithfully. Richard and Billy were estranged father and son who hadn't spoken for years. I think it was when Richard left prison that he tried to repair his relationship with his boy. But it was hard. Trust had been broken. One Sunday, I preached a message that spoke to them both. My text was Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. I talked about God's desire to restore relationships, especially those between fathers and sons. Well, that week we had our men's retreat. Richard and Billy were there. And when I drove up, they were so eager to show me their matching tattoos. Both of them had gone out 
and had gotten Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 tatted on their biceps. I usually am not a lover of tats, but this was one of the most beautiful tattoos I've ever seen. I got to tell you about Rich, a fellow I met right after we started Calvary Chapel. He was hitchhiking, and I picked him up on a Sunday morning and brought him to church. Later in the day, he got saved, and he spent the next two weeks sleeping on our living room couch. When he got his first paycheck, he moved in with a brother in the church. After a few months, he married a young lady who attended. Eventually, Rich and Carol moved back to Rich's home state of Michigan to start a family. Now, fast forward 38 years, not long ago, I get a phone call one day from Rich. His wife, Carol, had died of cancer, and he asked me to do the funeral. Unfortunately, my schedule prohibited it, but since I had been a part of the beginning of their lives together, he wanted me to be there at the end of their road. I was so honored. I got another story for you. One day, I walked out to get in my car to go home when I found that it had been shelled with raw eggs. Somebody had egged my car. I immediately started thinking of who it might be. Where had Pastor James been all day? (laughs) What did I do to upset the secretaries? Well, finally, I concluded somebody had gotten mad at the message, and so they took it out on the messenger. They egged the postman. Well, on my way home, I drove through the car wash to clean the egg off my car. And when I realized it was going to cost me five bucks, I started to cop an attitude. God, I'm serving you, and now it costs me five dollars. At that exact moment, guess who came on the radio? I did. (laughs) I came on the radio. We were running these 30-second spots highlighting Jesus' Beatitudes. And guess which Beatitude turned up on that day's rotation? Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I was reminding myself to rejoice over my heavenly reward. I never thought God would allow me to have a radio ministry so I could minister to me. The story, though, does have a happy ending. The egg thrower came forward and apologized. The person still attends our church, and I consider their family to be close friends. Hey, every time I see Charlie, I'm reminded that he was once our FedEx delivery man. When he retired, he decided to come to church. He's been coming ever since. Moral of the story, be nice to your FedEx guy. A number of you had kids that I coached on my baseball team. I was Coach Sandy to you before I ever became Pastor Sandy. I also have to mention Steve and Charles. For if you had a son at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain in the late 90s, early 2000s, these two men had a profound impact on that man's life. Every Wednesday, they would start in their classroom right over here, and they would eventually end up at the ball field. And they would take their little five, their little class of, of little boys, and they would march them down the hall like Marines. And you could hear them shout, what do you deserve? And they'd all shout, death and hell. <laughs> they wanted to teach them the first part of the gospel, that you need salvation. Well, about that same time, one parent 
told me that they were returning from an outing when one of their sons wanted to stop for an ice cream cone. He said he really deserved some ice cream. That's when his little brother piped in and said, you don't deserve that. You deserve death, death and hell. <laughs> and it wasn't just our boys that had godly influences. I'll never forget my daughter returning home from a church spend the night party with a strip of her hair dyed bright red. Miss Cheryl made all the girls get their parents' permission, but for some reason my daughter forgot. We laugh about it now. But I'm so thankful for Cheryl and Steve and Charles and Carrie and Lynn and Kim and Mike and Michelle and David and dozens and dozens of children's ministry volunteers who have invested in our kids. At age 15, I hired Joe to come up after school and clean the church. Joe didn't have a dad at home and needed a male influence, and I thought our pastors could be one. There were days when I would come in to check on Joe, and I'd catch him napping on those chairs. He'd be laid out on those chairs taking a nap right after school. I figured he needed to sleep. Over the years, Joe learned how to work and how to be a man and how to serve the Lord. Joe was the first of a chain of young men that we've hired JP and Nathan are currently our church Joes. And let me mention Kevin and Zach and Rob and Marvin and David and Chris and Josh and Randy and other men who've gone out from our church to pastor and to start churches. Kevin came to me one day and he said that God had called him to be a pastor. Did I have a job for him? I said, well, sure. Show up on Monday you can work at the church, but I'm not going to pay you until you prove yourself. And lo and behold, that next Monday, he showed up. He worked for nine months for free. Then I put him on part-time. Finally, I put him on full-time. Kevin was a great blessing to our church. He became a missionary to Ireland, and today he's a Calvary Chapel senior pastor in Northern California. David was a corporate executive who wanted to get more involved in his church. I told David he should teach fifth grade Sunday school. Fifth grade boys in Sunday school. I told him, I said, Dave, I said, if you can teach fifth grade boys, you can teach anybody. Well, today, Dave is a great Bible teacher, and he pastors the Calvary Chapel in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Zach is my oldest son. As a grade schooler, he loved coming to church with his dad. Of course, once he got there, he climbed on all the rooftops of all the buildings in Stone Mountain, broke his arm playing football in the church parking lot, busted out a garage window at the gas station next door, and a lot of other stuff. But he grew up loving church. And today, he's become a wonderful pastor. He pastors Calvary 316 in Winder. And Josh, our former worship leader, has gone on to pastor several Calvary chapels. Josh is a rising star in our movement, but he'll tell you he learned how to work and be a pastor on that back hall right back there here at Calvary Chapel. And I got to mention Andrew. I baptized Andrew's dad many years ago, dedicated Andrew as a baby, baptized him as a teenager, married he and Allie, and now he's serving as our youth pastor. And we hope the best days are ahead for him in fact, I think Andrew's finally gotten over the hump. 
<laughs> Over the hump. In 1980, I handed my pastor, Chuck Smith, a manuscript that I had written entitled, Welcome to the Family of God. It was a booklet for new believers. I asked him to use it for God's glory. Well, shortly thereafter, I got a phone call from the publishing house saying that they were going to print the booklet. I could expect copies in a few weeks. And I was so excited about that box of booklets. I envisioned my name emblazoned on the cover. What's more, I could see all of my Bible college friends picking that book off the shelf and checking out my name. But when the box arrived, I cracked it open, I inspected a booklet, but my name wasn't on the cover. Maybe it's on the back. It wasn't on the back. Maybe it's in the fine print on the title page. It wasn't there either. I looked that booklet over top to bottom, fine print and all, and the words Sandy Adams were nowhere to be found. And immediately the Lord spoke to me. Sandy, you gave it to Chuck, and he's using it for my glory. What else did you want? It was a wake-up call. What else did I want? Why was my name on that booklet so important? Well, over the years, I've learned a vital lesson. The names that are most important to me these days are the names of the people that I've mentioned to you this morning, as well as the other living stones who make up this wonderful church. You know, we're three days before an election, but I think it's important to remember how God's Spirit is building God's kingdom. There are no shortcuts in His plan. Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom, one heart at a time. He changes this world one by one. God's kingdom is built not by remaking institutions, but by redeeming individuals. It's vital that you vote this week, and please vote biblically. But rather than fret over who occupies the Oval Office, let's care more about who occupies our neighbor's heart. What a rich tapestry of people make up our Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain family. Five weeks ago, you gave me a wonderful gift. A verse from every book in the Bible in the shape of a thumbprint. Through my Bible teaching, I've touched your life and I've left my fingerprints on you. But please know, your prints are on me as well. And I'm grateful. Not long ago, I was speaking at a conference when someone asked me, Pastor Sandy, have you ever thought of giving up your church and speaking at conferences full time? I laughed. No way. I love our people too much. And I enjoy watching God work in their lives week by week, month by month, year by year. I'd miss pastoring the same people. I thank God daily that he's allowed me to be part of what he's doing in your life. I guess you could say I'm just a tap-tap driver at heart. And I'm really glad you're along for the ride. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for these wonderful stories, for what the wonderful work, Lord, that you've done in this church. And thank you, Lord, on behalf of all of us, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part. And Lord, we're excited about what's ahead, the glorious things you still plan to do, Lord. Lord, the things you've done are just setting the stage for 
for the incredible work that's before us. We're so thankful, Lord, and we're so grateful. And Lord, we want to be faithful to you. And Lord, we want to be willing to follow those steps of faith that are yet before us. Fill our hearts with your spirit, Lord. Fill our hearts with your love. Bless us this day, Lord, and in the days to come. We all pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.